appropriate time, his parents took him to the city of Jerusalem to the temple. And there he encountered a godly man upon whom the Holy Spirit of God was dwelling, whose name was Simeon. And Simeon reached out and took the baby Jesus in his arms. The Lord had told Simeon, you will not die until you see God's salvation. And as Simeon held the Lord Jesus in his arms and looked into that little face, God spoke to him by the power of the Spirit and said, you are holding the salvation that you have long sought for. And then Simeon looked into the eyes of Mary and Joseph, particularly Mary. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, is recorded the words that he spoke. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary picked up her baby, and she made her way that day to the temple, and what she anticipated was going to be a joyous experience of dedication. But as she stood there and she looked into the eyes of Simeon, and Simeon looked into her eyes, he spoke those words, there's going to be a day that a sword is going to pierce your soul. This day that was supposedly going to be so filled with joy, all of a sudden had with it words of grief. And they were words of grief that were maturing words. So often in life we avoid grief and we live in denial of grief. But God allows grief into our life for the purpose of helping us to grow and mature and can use grief in our lives as an instrument to help us to become more like Jesus. First of all, I want us to see this morning from Luke's Gospel chapter 2 in these words of Simeon to Mary, the maturing of blessing. It says that Simeon stood there in the temple and he took the baby and held it in his arms and he began to pronounce a blessing upon the baby, Jesus, and upon the parents. The Old Testament blessing was one where you literally laid your hands on someone when you blessed them. It was physical in the sense that you held the one or you touched the one that you were blessing. And it was also oral in the sense that you pronounced a blessing upon someone. And so Simeon holds the baby and he begins to pronounce this blessing upon the baby and this blessing upon the parents. In the United States, in American cultural religion, we have come to define blessing along the lines of material prosperity and life basically going smooth and easy. So we will look at someone and say they are blessed of God when they are being blessed materially. And if we see someone who's got a new car or they've got you know, new nice clothes or they came and do some money or whatever, we say that is evidence of blessing. If we look at, at someone whose life is going smooth and things are falling into place, we say that, that person is a blessed person. And often when we identify the blessing of God in our lives, we will say, 
well, I'm knowing the blessing of God in my life now because this has happened and this has worked out and I got a good report from the doctor or I got you know, this material thing or that material thing. That is an Americanized version of blessing that really has very little to do with what the blessing of Scripture and of God is all about. The idea of the word blessing here from its Old Testament roots is an empowerment to do, to live out the will of God. When we are blessed by God, we are empowered by God with the strength and the encouragement and the love and the glory of God to live out whatever it is that God has called us to. And when Simeon looked at Mary that day, he said, I'm blessing you. I'm not blessing you with an easy life. The blessing of God doesn't mean it's going to be smooth. The blessing of God means that you are going to have whatever it takes to live out the will of God. And in that you will know the blessing of God. As Jesus was born and as He was growing up and He began to realize that He was different, as this business of being the Son of God began to dawn on Him, as he began to realize he was different from the other kids, as he began to realize the calling that the God had placed upon his life, and Mary listened to it. She watched it unfold in her home at the dinner table as she watched him play in the neighborhood, as she tried to answer his questions. She knew the blessing of God. As he grew into adulthood and he began to move into new places and phases of ministry, she knew the blessing of God as she enabled him and worked alongside of him to fulfill the calling that God had put on his life. His first and second year in public ministry, he was accepted and well-received and people couldn't get enough of him. But the third year is called the year of rejection. And she stood by that year and she watched as place after place, person after person, rejected her son. This son that she had held in her arms as a little baby, this son that she had looked into his face year after year, this son that she had helped teach him how to read and how to interface with other people, this child that she poured her life into, his moms poured their lives into their children, now she was watching even the people of his hometown reject him. And in that, she knew the blessing of God in the encouragement, in the empowerment, in the love that she needed to encourage him and to get through it herself. She knew the blessing of God on that day when she helplessly watched him be beaten and mocked and crucified. She knew the empowerment of God to be able to be there and to stay there and to reach out to Him and to say that I'm here for you. In that she knew the blessing of God. For three days, as He lay in the grave, and she wrestled with her questions and her grief and the call of God upon her own life, and as she clung tenaciously to a bare thread of a hope that something better might be around the corner. In those lonely, questioning hours and days, she knew the blessing of God. And on that first Resurrection Sunday, when she went to the tomb, and it was empty, and she th first thought they have done the final 
act of humiliation. They've stolen his body. And then the angel spoke and said, Your son, he's not here, not because his body's been stolen, but because he's been raised from the dead. She knew the blessing of God. And folks, the idea is that God wants to bless us, but his blessing doesn't mean that we're going to have material prosperity. His blessing does not mean that life is always going to go smoothly for us and easy, and we are blessed because of that. The blessing of God means that when you go through the agonizing times of life and when you fulfill the call of God on your life and His call and His leadership means it is lonely and it is difficult and you want to give up. In those moments, the blessing of God means that He will enable you to prosper in living out His will. That deep inside your soul, no matter how much it hurts, there is a greater sense, deeper than the pain and the hurt, of knowing fulfillment of the purpose of God. You see, when you and I pull back from the place of pain and suffering to live out the will of God, we also pull back from the fulfillment of the blessing of God in our lives. And whatever the comfort zone we're trying to pull ourselves to, will always miss the fulfillment of living out the blessing of God in obedience to Him. Look at the maturing of discernment that Mary will experience. Simeon looks at her and says, This child is appointed. He is placed on this planet for a reason. He is appointed. It has been determined what is to take place in his life. This child is appointed. Now notice what he says, For the fall of of many in Israel. Jesus was a stumbling block to a lot of people. Scripture uses that metaphor about Him as people encountered Him. Many folks, instead of embracing Him and following where He was going, stumbled over Him. Why did they stumble over Him? Because Jesus was not who they thought He was going to be. He wasn't born the way he was supposed to be born. You see, by the time you get to the life and the times of the Lord Jesus, the Jewish leadership and the religious establishment had decided that the Messiah that God had promised he was going to send was going to be primarily a political figure and a military figure. And that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Roman government re-establish Israel as the dominant world power and by definition take the leadership of Israel and establish them as political rulers in his kingdom. So when this little baby is born in a stable in Bethlehem, he's blowing the whole narrative out of the water as to who the Messiah is supposed to be. So they had all kinds of problems with the way that he was born. And then as he went about doing ministry, Jesus had this irritating, aggravating aspect to who he was. Because when Jesus went into town, he did not search out the people who were filled with power. He did not search out the folks who ran the town. He didn't seem to be after money. He didn't seem to be after power. In fact, when Jesus came to town, He would go after the people who were on the margins, who were rejected, and nobody seemed to care about. 
who were so vulnerable and Jesus focused in on them. The philosopher Nietzsche hated the person of Jesus because he said Jesus had time for the needy. And he thought Jesus, if he had really been strong, would just have ignored the needy. And so when Jesus worked with people, he wasn't doing... See, the Messiah was supposed to come and play to the powerful and make them more powerful. Play to the wealthy and make them more wealthy. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went to those people, those people who didn't have power, those people who didn't come from the right background, those people who lived on the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, when one of the disciples first heard about Jesus before he decided to follow Jesus, he says, the guy's from Nazareth, that dirty little blue-collar town, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was just taking the whole structure of society and turning it on its ear. They wanted Jesus to focus on them, to make them rich, to make them powerful, to overthrow the Roman government, etc. Think about one of his disciples named Judas. If you and I had bumped into Judas, we probably would have been more impressed with him than any of the other disciples. He was intelligent. He knew how to handle money. But in the depths of Judas's heart, he wanted money more than he wanted a Savior. He thought he needed money more than he needed a Savior. And so, he stumbled over Jesus. The religious establishment stumbled over Jesus. The people who were supposed to recognize who he was stumbled over him because he didn't fit their bill of what he was supposed to be like. And think about it on the cross. One of the thieves on the cross looks over at Jesus the supposed Son of God with all the power of the universe at His disposal. And that thief looks at Him and says to Him, What is your problem? What is your problem? You've been walking around for three and a half years healing people, raising people from the dead, saying you're from God, and now you won't even do a blooming thing to save yourself? You got the power to save yourself, so let's see you do it. You could save me. Why don't you use your power to end my pain and my suffering? Why don't you use all this power that you say you've got to stop this crucifixion that's going on? You can do it if you're who you say you are. Now, before we get too hard on the thief on the cross, how many of us have been tempted if we have not said the same thing to God? If God, if you are really who you say you are, if you're as powerful as your word says, why don't you stop the pain that I'm going through? Why did you let my relative die? Why did I just get the doctor's report that I got? Why has my life's journey been the suffering journey that it has been? I thought when I came to you and trusted you as my Savior and followed you that you committed yourself to making my life easier than it has been. I remember as a student at Southwestern Seminary, a philosophy professor I had, he said, guys, let me tell you this, the main reason you'll find that people do not want faith and don't want to walk with God is the issue of suffering. They do not understand, and we struggle with understanding. Why does God allow suffering? And if God is who he says he is and as great as he's supposed to be, why does he allow pain? Why does he allow death? 
Why does he allow suffering? That's exactly what that thief is saying to him on the cross that day. You could do something about this, and you could stop this, and you could stop this right now, and you're not doing a blooming thing about it, so I don't want to have a thing to do with you. Discerning who he is. It says that a lot of folks are going to fall and stumble over him. But then he said, but there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to rise. Well, think about the folks who rise. There was this lady who was caught in the very act of adultery. You sort of get the feeling in the story that they set her up for it. And they grab her and they bring her to Jesus and they throw her down in front of Jesus and they said, the law, and they were writing this, the law says that she should be stoned, put to death right now for what she was caught in the act of. And Jesus looks around at the group and he starts writing something on the ground. Bible scholars think what he may have been writing was the sins of all the people who were accusing her. One by one, they dropped their stones and got out of Dodge as fast as they could. And then Jesus looks at the lady and he says, where are the folks who were accusing you? And she says, they're gone. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, I'm not going to condemn you either. There your condemners are gone. I'm not going to condemn you. I want you to stand up. I'm going to raise you up. And I want you to have a new life that I'm giving to you. I want you to leave right now and go and sin no more. They stumbled over him. She allowed him to raise her to a new life. There was the other thief on the cross. He hung there and he listened to the one thief ridiculing and attacking Jesus. And then he looked over there. But you see, he saw something entirely different from what the other thief saw. He saw a different kind of power. It wasn't a power being used to alleviate suffering and pain. It was the power that was being expressed on the cross to liberate from sin and shame and guilt. He watched blood flowing and recognized that the blood that was flowing was flowing to set him free from sin, to cleanse him. As the hymn writer so well put it, he watched the old rugged cross being stained not just with blood, but with blood that was so divine. And he said, I need that and I want that. And he said, would you remember me today in paradise? Jesus, as I watch you, I recognize that you love me enough that you might remember me today in paradise. What was he saying? I recognize, Jesus, that you've got the power and you are using it today not to stop what's happening because what's happening is securing my salvation, but you've got the power to open up heaven for me. I'm not interested in getting delivered from this. I'm being interested in being delivered up there to that. To what you've got for me in heaven. Would you remember me today in paradise? And Jesus says, you got it. You got it. You got it in more ways than one. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 says, He has raised us up together in Christ. It also says that He has made us to sit together in the heavenly places. Humility and pride. Pride means we stumble over him. Humility means that we embrace him. Verse 34, Simeon says he's going to be for a sign 
that is opposed. The word sign there means a visible indication of power in a miracle. He's going to be for a sign that is going to be opposed. People are going to look at him. They're going to listen to him. And they are going to oppose him. And why are they going to oppose him? Because what Jesus does is he exposes and convicts as to how shallow people's walk with God is. You see, Jesus walked up to people who walked around proclaiming how religious they were and how godly they were. And he said, you know something? You're just a grave. Your religion is dead as a doornail and it stinks in the nostrils of God. And they didn't jump up and down and say, well, thank you so much, Jesus, for convicting me. I really appreciate that and I'm going to get right with God. They said, get out of my face. I don't want to hear anything you've got to say. At the end of his life, they yelled, crucify him. He was a sign that was opposed. And notice verse 35. He takes her grief and matures it. A sword will pierce through your soul. The word sword there spoke of a long Thracian javelin. It was the longest weapon of warfare known at that time. He's not saying a dagger is going to go through your soul. He's not saying a sword that you hold in your hand is going to go through your soul. He is saying a javelin is going to rip right through your soul, Mary. Can you imagine the expression that must have been on her face when he said that? Mary, because you identify with him, and you love him, and you walk with him, and people are going to look at you and know that you are the mother of Jesus, you're going to have a javelin that's going to go through your soul. And what is the message to us today in that? When you identify with Jesus, and you walk with Jesus, and you love Jesus, and you say, I belong to Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of that, there are going to be times when you're going to get a sword through your soul for identifying with Jesus. I remember a number of years ago, I read a newspaper article that talked about how Jesus was in. And Jesus was popular. And they were talking about the songs that were out there about Jesus and all the stuff you could buy at the store that had his name on it. And I mean, Jesus was in. And then a few years later, Jesus was out. <laughs> but you see, Jesus don't give a flip about living a popularity contest. He's just who he is, and you accept him or you reject him as who he is, but he is not going to play a game and conform. And folks, I don't know quite how to say this, so I'm going to say it as best I can, but if you and I are going to follow him and love him and serve him and identify with him, that does not mean that God is automatically obligated to make life easy and smooth for us, and it sure doesn't mean that we're going to be popular. We've got Christianity today, many cases that's being articulated in the United States that says if you, you, know, you love Jesus and you serve Jesus and you walk with Jesus and you're going to prosper and you're going to have a bank load full of money and the nicest car, etc., and people are just going to flock to you. But that's not what the Bible says. 
That is not what he said to Mary. He said, Mary, your identification with him is going to mean that a sword is going to pierce through your own soul. Notice verse 35. It says that the thoughts of many people may be revealed. The interesting word there that's used, that the thoughts there, it means to carefully calculate something. In other words, when Jesus came in contact with people and he began to minister to them, it didn't take long when they got in an encounter with Jesus that you could see what was really going on inside of somebody. If they were humble and trying to honestly reach out to God, they reached out to Him. But if they had a veil of basically hypocritical Christianity, of faith that was going on in them, they would just sort of play in the game. They began to viscerally react to Him and didn't want to have anything to do with Him. Mary, the sword's going to go through your soul. But follow me. Mary knew what it was for the sword to go through her soul. She knew the agony of watching them crucify him. But because of the blessing of God to live out and fulfill the will of God, she stuck at it. She stuck with it. She stayed with him. And she got to resurrection morning. But the only way that you and I are going to get to resurrection morning is if we stick with Him and stay with Him on the Good Friday. You can't drive around Good Friday and jump to Easter Sunday. We have to go straight through Good Friday and Good Friday has to come straight through us in order to get to Easter Sunday. Let's bow our heads. Where are we in life? Is there a grief that we're struggling with or anticipating? You see, the blessing God wants to give us, the strength God wants to give us, is not to make life easy but to keep us from getting better and walking away from Him when life is tough. And God wants to take whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever loss it is that we're struggling with, whatever grief it is that we're carrying, and say, I want to bless you in it. I want to enable you to live out the will of God in that. He wants to enable us and empower us to walk with Jesus identify with Jesus, be identified with Jesus, and yes, endure through some swords being put in us, but to say, I'm going to stay at it and stay with Him, and He'll take me to that place of resurrection. In these moments of silence and quiet, I just want to invite you to open your heart, our minds up to Jesus. And say, Lord, may I know the blessing in my life to fulfill the purpose that you have for my life. And God, I want to know the empowerment that I need to stick with you and to walk with you. Even when the swords come, so that, Lord, I get to that place. 
of knowing your resurrection power in my life. In a moment as we sing about Him being with us, I want to invite you, if you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus and decide today I want to follow Him and walk with Him and identify with Him and know Him, to give the opportunity to walk the aisle of this church and make that decision to know Christ and to walk with Him. I'll be here at the front to pray with you. If you're here today and you sense and feel that God is leading you, guiding you to become part of the church family here, then we invite you to come. As always, the altar here is open if you just want to come and kneel and pray and talk to the Lord. In these moments together, as we respond to Him, let us step out in obedience and do whatever He's calling us to. Lord, have Your way with us right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.